Good morning. Welcome to our assembly, which has a singular purpose, to praise God. We want to do that in the way He has directed in His Word. We are happy to have each of you here with us today. We invite you back today at 5 p.m. If you've been missing our Bible classes, Wednesday night at 7.30, that would be a good time to start. Our website, lhmacallen.org. Those of you who use the sermon note page, we were unable to get that out today. There was a mix-up in the printing, and I promise that the one who is responsible for all of that will receive a just reprimand. For those who are visiting, that's me. No bulletin today either, but that will be taken care of when you come back tonight. Throughout this year, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians. Rich instruction from God for good living while we're here. It was written by the Apostle Paul initially to address problems in the Corinthian church of the first century. But this is part of God's total written revelation to us, and it's for our learning and our living today. We are in chapter 10 this morning. This is part of that epistle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and the instruction came from God. It begins with a warning from history. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
people who came out of the Jewish religion to become Christians were familiar with the history of their ancestors. And in the history of the Jews, given in the Old Testament, there were several sad narratives of the people turning away from God. So Paul brings up that history in 1 Corinthians 10 to warn the Christians in Corinth, obviously, to not repeat the mistakes of your ancestors. Notice down through these verses, some turned from God to idolatry. There was a spirit of ease and carnal pleasure. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Some were involved in sexual immorality and some were just grumbling. Now how did all this turn out? What was God's judgment of such behavior? Verse 5. God was not pleased. And some were destroyed for their sin in one day 23,000. Now why bring this up? Paul explains, these things happened to them as an example and they were written down for our instruction. Our instruction. Now, what do we take away from this part of 1 Corinthians 10? Two words tucked into verse 12. Take heed lest we fall. Pay attention to your commitments to God. Who brought you out of sin through Christ? Stay focused on the obligations that you have accepted to serve and obey Him. Take heed lest you fall knowing what happened to them. Written in Scripture. Otherwise, what happened to those apostate Israelites could happen to us if we are not guarded and careful and reaffirming of our commitments to God. The imperative is to guard your heart and to live your life against the specific sins identified here. Laziness, grumbling, idolatry, sexual immorality. Live as far away as you can from those temptations. Stay busy serving God. The main idea is what happened to God's people in the past could happen to us today if we don't take heed. Pay attention. Stay on course. Don't let your guard down. And don't entertain the idea that you have to sin. That the temptation is equal to compulsion. No. Verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So isn't it clear? God doesn't want us to fall into sin like the Israelites. So take heed, lest you fall. I need to take heed, lest I fall. Every account of sin 
Every documented case of people leaving God becomes a warning for me and for you to take heed to ourselves. That's what we need to get out of the first 13 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Move with me now to the next section, which will contain the message to flee from idolatry right at the very beginning. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? There's a lot here. But you see immediately the essence of it. Flee from idolatry. Paul is making some points very clearly here about the distance we need to put between ourselves and idolatry, the worship of non-existent gods. I tell you, <coughs> it is not unusual in our time to find people who think they can play around the fringes of Christianity and dabble in all the different religions without consequence. Dabble in idolatry, play around with worldliness, a little false teaching, a little error here, no harm done, that's the thinking. Because these days, high premium is placed on diversity and compromise and an ecumenical approach where you acknowledge all religions, but you never commit to any. Paul is making something very clear. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't partake in the Lord's Supper, then participate in idol worship and think everything is fine with God. You can't go through the motions of Christianity while you're dancing with demons and assume it doesn't matter to God. Paul is so plain about this. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Here's what all that means. You have to decide who you're going to serve. Who you're going to worship. How you're going to worship. Who are you going to worship with? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to dabble around in everything that's out in the world? Are you going to be firmly committed to God and His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ, as your example? I have to decide 
who I'm going to serve. God the Creator can't just be one of many gods that I think I'm serving. Christ cannot be just one of many masters I deceive myself into thinking that I'm obeying. If the first 13 verses in 1 Corinthians 10 warn against apostasy, this section warns against the specific sin of idolatry, which is always a compromise. And it's a compromise that takes you away from God very clearly. It should cause us to remember something Joshua said in the Old Testament, choose you this day who you will serve. The next section in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is about wise distinctions that take us to our primary aim of glorifying God. Listen, please. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Well, again, there's a lot there. Some of that we will undertake to study on some other occasion, but we want to get to the essence of it, please. Do you remember a few weeks ago, the question came up in Corinth about eating meat that came from animals used on pagan religious altars. And Paul said, back in chapter 8, there is nothing in that meat that transmits spiritual contamination. What must be accounted for is your influence on others and the circumstance in which you're eating that meat. And Paul said in chapter 8, verse 13, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Well, this is a follow-up from that in the previous chapter. Paul is urging good thought, wisdom about these kinds of issues. And he says, you put others first. The golden rule comes out here. In verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. This involves the discipline 
of making wise distinctions. You can eat the meat. It doesn't transmit contamination to your soul. But what is the circumstance? Are you mindful of the people? Are you considerate of influence and giving offense? Those things must be brought in to make wise distinctions. The fact that something is lawful doesn't mean it's the best thing to do in every circumstance. And be certain of this. If eating that meat is directly connected to idol worship at the time you consume it with others present, Paul says, do not eat it. Against the common impulses that can interrupt good thinking, stop and think and make wise distinctions. What is the circumstance? Who are the people? How is this being presented? And here's your aim. Verse 31. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10. I want to give you three examples before I close of what we need to get from the chapter. Verse 13 imparts great strength in temptation. <clears throat> no temptation has overtaken you. <clears throat> that is not common, <clears throat> common to man... God is faithful, and He... <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> One temptation that required some water. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where in that moment your first thought was, I don't have any choice but to sin. <clears throat> Here on ground level, <clears throat> as humans are under pressure, sometimes our first impulse, even though it may be momentary, our first impulse is, there's nothing I can do but what I know is wrong. And of course, the devil wants us to go with that first impulse. <clears throat> the devil wants us to think in the direction of sin that we have to commit. Paul says, no. You don't ever have to sin. If you believe this about the faithfulness of God, you go into every life situation, every trial, every storm, knowing God has made a way out. It may be hard to find. It may be hard to take. It may be extremely difficult to do what is right. But God says there is no compulsion to sin. The apostate Israelites did not have to leave God and take up idols. They didn't have to commit sexual immorality. They didn't have to disobey the covenant they received through Moses. God is just as faithful to us. We don't have to disobey Him. The promise of verse 13 is ours. Let me say something about <clears throat> unselfish discipline as it is presented to us in verse 24 and 32 and 33. Talk about something hard. Sometimes it is difficult 
to seek the good of your neighbor. Maybe most of the time, maybe most of the time it comes naturally and easy to seek the good of your neighbor. To set aside your own advantage and your priorities in the interest of serving your neighbor. <clears throat> but in some cases, it's a very challenging sacrifice to apply the golden rule, especially for people who have somehow picked up the habit of selfishness, insisting on their own way all the time. And then they come to these instructions in the New Testament, and it can be very hard to relearn, to stop putting yourself first, to consider the needs of others. In situations where no sin or compromise is involved, to do what Paul said he did in verse 33. I tried to please everyone in everything I do. Now, in another setting in Galatians chapter 1, where there was pressure to embrace false teaching, Paul said we cannot please those false teachers. That's sin. That's compromise. But in situations where no sin or compromise is involved, we need to consider people. And Paul says he did that. I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Same teaching found in Philippians 2. It can be challenging, but let's embrace that challenge because we have one primary aim, do all to the glory of God. When I remain steadfast in my devotion to Christ, day by day, when I read and study the Word of God and examine myself, when I assemble to worship and sing and pray and give and take the Lord's Supper, when I know I can resist temptation because of the strength God imparts, and I do resist it, <clears throat> when I treat people with the mind of a servant like Paul, the object of all of that is the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. May that be our aim. Next month, preaching through 1 Corinthians continues in chapter 11 with a subject that has some relevance today, the relation of men and women. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, next month. Chapter 10 this morning has warned us to trust in God's faithfulness, knowing that there's always the way of escape, believing we should act for the good of others in the best way we're able to, and do all to the glory of God. Does this describe your present life? Why not? Are there adjustments urgently called for? Are there people here who have never been baptized into Christ? We provide this brief opportunity for you to consider carefully before God what you need to do, and if we can help you further to understand how God's Word applies to you, please speak to me about that. Now we're going to be standing to sing.